Our story continues. The mayor's jubilee was supposed to change everything, be a new start. But when we woke up the next morning, Riverdale was still, at its heart, a haunted town. I'm Olivia. And I'm Marisa. And this is Marisa and Olivia's Weird Fantasy. Okay, one thing we're addressing right at the top of the pod. After listening to last episode, The Final Cut, I was horrified to discover that I'm being censored. Because Olivia's the one who edits this podcast because I have no idea how computers work and no follow through. So I would just like to say an important piece of information that has been cut out of the podcast. And I don't know why she would do this to me. Is that Miss Grundy is Lolita. Do I need to elaborate? Just once, <laughs> just a little. When she is introduced, she pulls up in a little bug with some heart-shaped sunglasses, sipping on her Slurpee, and all the young boys, like, look at her. And I feel like that's important to the cultural landscape that Riverdale is painting. And uh, that's all I have to say on that. And I'm very sorry that I censored you. It will happen again. <laughs> That's all I have to say on that. This episode, we will be discussing season two of Riverdale in our... In our six-part season summary, which will hopefully be partially successful in recapping Riverdale. We can't even aim to do the whole thing because it, it's simply too much. And as you will hear in this episode, it just ramps up and up. It goes more and more crazy with each season and just more and more happens in each episode. And I think that that's beautiful. So season two, to give a very brief summary, follows two big plots, which are the Black Hood and the Serpents. We introduce the Serpents in more detail in season one because they are relevant, but season two is where they really get fleshed out. You meet all of the Serpents, we get a few named characters, and the focus on the serpents is really through Jughead and surprisingly Veronica. Jughead is really focused on the serpents as opposed to anything else. Yeah. And Veronica is focused on the serpents because her father's dirty dealings are surrounding the serpents and their life. It's also kind of class warfare throughout, which is very much yeah. embodied by Veronica as the rich girl and Jughead as the low-income serpent living in the trailer park where all of the serpents live. And one thing we're saying is that also Veronica's dad is introduced in this season. He comes in episode one and immediately starts fucking shit up. He immediately is like, what if I did the sketchiest things all the time? Something that we did track while watching this season is does Veronica love or hate her dad today? And it pretty much oscillates every episode, every episode. Uh, which again gets at that kind of core Riverdale principle that family is evil, but also it's all you have. One thing we should say, I'm going to pick up on the cliffhangers that were left on in the final episode of season one. Fred survives the gunshot, Cheryl's mom survives the fire that Cheryl started in Thornhill, and then when they go back to the diner to like find Fred's wallet, they realize all the money's still there, so what they thought was a mugging was actually a hit on Fred. And this introduces the Black Hood plot, which is the other main plot of the season, very much focused on Archie and Betty. Archie because he is so hurt and traumatized by this experience with the Black Hood that it fundamentally changes him for the rest of the series, which is very sad to watch. And we'll talk more about that in detail later. And it's important to Betty because what is ultimately revealed is the Black Hood is her father. 
this is pitched as a big reveal, but as we will discuss, you can tell from the first thing the Black Hood does that it is Betty's father. The Black Hood is specifically contacting Betty throughout the season. She has a personalized ringtone for him, which is the lollipop song. Lollipop, lollipop, oh, the way that he interacts with her is the only a way that someone who knows Betty since childhood could interact with her. And one other thing we will say is the second Black Hood murder, which happens in episode one, brings us back to our favorite Lolita that I was just talking about, Miss Grundy. And it goes to the town of Greendale and shows Miss Grundy being strangled with the bow that Archie gave her. So at first during the season, Archie is very involved with the Black Hood because he thinks these murders are kind of, an attempts of murder are directly related to him. His father is shot, Miss Grundy, who he had an affair with, is killed. But quickly he comes to realize it's larger than him. And kind of the narrative from the Black Hood throughout the season is that Riverdale is a town of sin and he's here to change that, which is a hilarious thing to do by murdering randos. So Archie's response to this is immediately fascism it's it's so immediate it's so funny he forms a group called the red circle this group is encouraged by Hiram so we can argue that it's not just Archie's stupidity and rather this mob boss who's been involved in a lot of uh, white-collar crime as well as literal mob boss crime but no it's mainly Archie it's mainly Archie deciding that he loves fascism and wants to form a militia group that just like interrogates people at random. He also posts a viral video in which there are a bunch of shirtless football players wearing masks and Archie not wearing a mask is like, This is a message for the coward calling himself the Black Hood. We're called the Red Circle and we're coming for you. We will hunt you and we will end you. And it's one of the stupidest things that Archie ever produces and that includes his terrible songs. And what I will say is, what does it say about Archie that he felt the need to make his sexuality and his body a part of the threat? Part of Riverdale is a focus on KJ Apa's body. Mm -hmm. He's constantly shirtless. Like, Jughead, very rarely shirtless. He's often in a little tank top looking great. <laughs> but KJ Apa, as Archie, constantly shirtless, constantly working out. There's a fixation on exercise and, like, self-monitoring of his body mm -hmm. in order to get away from his feelings of inadequacy. Archie's masculinity is so complicated. Although that... Archie has sex this season. Which they start out strong with in the first episode. A lot of season two for Archie is a fear of impotence because he was unable to stop his father from being shot to the extent that he is taking uppers so that he can stay awake at night with a baseball bat to protect his dad. He's so obsessed with being able to get the Black Hood that he's constantly running in the night and putting himself in danger all because he was unable to stop this initial attack on his father. Yeah, and they, like, show the flashback a lot. And I think it's interesting because, you know, you have these shows where crazy things happen all the time, and somehow the characters are, like, unfazed by them. But Archie is, like, deeply traumatized by this incident. And also I'll say, we'll talk about this more when we talk about season four, but it is very sad that Luke Perry dies in real life. And Riverdale actually handles it very well. Like, it's a very sweet passing for the character. He's killed in a hit and run instead of being involved. They, they really don't make it like 
a silly part of the plot, but I do think they the groundwork is laid because Archie takes this attack on his father so seriously that they're able to take a real-life actor's death who was very beloved by everyone as well as people on the cast and take it very seriously in the way that it deserves because they take this initial father-son breakage between Archie and his father so seriously. Okay, so Archie's red circle kind of immediately starts identifying um, the serpents as a threat, which is kind of weird. Like, Fred is attacked by only one person, and you only see his eyes, and they're like a very pale blue. And you can say I'm being, you know, racially essentializing, but it's not me, it's the show. All the serpents are kind of racially ambiguous. There's an intentional vagueness around a lot of the serpents, like race, but they are all brown, pretty much except for Jughead and his dad. Yeah, there are a few notable serpents who aren't just ambiguously people of color, which are Penny Peabody, who we'll discuss in a minute, Jughead and his father, and serpents that get initiated via this season. So Cheryl becomes a serpent by the end of the season. Betty does. But those are all people connected to Jughead. The original serpents we learn were a native tribe. But what we discover from Jughead attending Southside High as opposed to Riverdale High is that the serpents are almost all people of color, low income. The majority of them live in a trailer park. There's very much south side, north side divides in the town of Riverdale. The south side is drug addled. Everyone's in gangs. There's two opposing gangs, the Ghoulies, who are apparently the gang that sells the drugs, and the Serpents, who aren't. And this drug is introduced this season. It's called Jingle Jangle. The drug is called Jingle Jangle. And it is taken so seriously. Yeah. I wonder if, like, Riverdale was just like, this drug plotline is going to be so consistent that we really don't want it to be a real drug, because, like, that would just be kind of too disrespectful. <laughs> it also is like, they decided to make season two so much darker, but even they were like, okay, we need something a little silly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the reason that Jingle Jangle is also so relevant to this season, outside of it just being kind of on the south side, is that Jingle Jangle is moving north, which we know because Moose and Midge, two Riverdale High students, are shot while doing Jingle Jangle. In their car. It's very Son of Sam. And it's also very fun because it's like, Riverdale loves to do a little horror movie, and so it's like them in their car, and you know something bad is gonna happen, and they're about to do their jingle jangle, and then shots ring out. You don't know yeah. who's dead or who's alive. Kevin, who is always cruising, uh, which will become a point of contention in this season, finds them. Much like how he found Jason's body in season one. He finds them, they both survive because Moose, in what is such a heroic act of beefiness, covers Midge's body with his own and protects her. Apparently he's like impenetrable to bullets. <laughs> Again, this is where the Black Hood is like, I'm killing sinners. So, so far, let me tell you who the Black Hood's attempted victims have been. Also, only one body. Not a very good serial killer. The Black Hood has tried to kill Fred Andrews on the point of being an adulterer in season one with Hermione Lodge. At the time, Fred Andrews was separated from his wife. I feel like, kill Hermione, babe. Like, yeah. that's not on Fred. He does kill Miss Grundy, who is a pedophile, so we'll give him that. I'm okay with him killing Miss Grundy. It's not that I don't, pr I don't promote murder in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I need to get that on the public record. <laughs> but, you know, if you're saying you're killing sinners, 
sure. Like, that's kind of harmless. We also see that Miss Grundy is interacting with another young student. Mm -hmm. Archie was not the first person she did this to. So, sure. One for the Black Hood. He then tries to kill two kids who just happen to be in the woods doing jingle jangle. Low stakes sin, let's be honest. Yeah. Especially with all this shit going on. Yeah. Why can't the Black Hood just take one for the team and kill Hiram? I know. If the Black Hood killed Hiram in this season, the rest of the show would have had to be so much more creative with its villains. One thing we need to back up and say is that early in this season, one thing that's introduced is Jughead's becoming more involved with the Serpents. And one of the moments where you see Jughead kind of change his stance on, like, how involved he wants to be and what he's willing to do is when he goes to this woman, Penny Peabody, who we just mentioned, who's kind of this, like, sketchy lawyer. She's also a serpent. She has the serpent tattoo. And he asks her for help getting his dad out, out of jail because his dad is still in jail in the first couple episodes. And she does. And basically now Jughead is indebted to this woman. And this is kind of one of the first moments when Jughead is, you know, becoming a part of this gang and also like doing some kind of sketchy things that he might not have done in the first season. And FP, when Jughead explains to him how he got him out of jail, is so mad because he's yeah. like, I didn't want this life for you. I've been trying so hard that you don't have to be a part of this. I'm trying to get out. So this is where we see the shift of FP to kind of good father who cares a lot about Jughead. Mm -hmm. And you get, I actually love their relationship in this season. I feel like it's very sweet in the ways that FP is trying to be a good father and also deals a lot with FP's problems with addiction. And once he gets out, he's trying to go clean, uh, both from the serpents and sobriety like he's working very hard and it's ultimately ruined by betty yeah that's crazy one thing that is happening also is that basically archie's group the red circle is like vandalizing serpent territory which is just like weird like he's so hyper focused on the serpents as being associated with the black hood even though it's very clear that the black hood is one person you know, it just, it doesn't totally make sense. But this is kind of where you start having, like, a wedge in Archie and Jughead's relationship that it feels like mostly stems from, like, a class difference. And also stems from his relationship with Veronica because he's so willing to see past the things that Veronica is doing on her father's behalf, whereas Jughead, at one point, Veronica's father is planning on evicting every single one of the serpents from the trailer park. And... Archie is completely excusing Veronica's role in that. When Jughead is his best friend, he knows Jughead has been homeless for a period of time. Like, it's just this dissonance that he's able to have from Jughead that, again, makes me so upset with, like, how he acts in this season. And also Veronica, because Archie's stupid. He's so naive. And, like, he really, if someone is like, I trust you, I want you to do this thing for me, we're partners now like we can rely on each other he just immediately is in and he's also so traumatized by his father's attempted murder that his moral code is completely changed you're supposed to continue seeing him as this good guy but it's really hard to when the person who is consistently affected the most is Jughead yeah Jughead is the narrator of this season and he's to me one of the most empathetic characters if not the most 
And so it's kind of just sad. I now want to get into Jughead at Southside. We meet some important serpents and some of my favorite characters. So we meet Tony Topaz, Fangs Fogarty, and Sweet Pea, three of the most beautiful people in the show. Yeah. Sweet Pea has a neck tattoo for the serpents, and I love him. At one point during the season, they all have to cover up their tattoos, and he has to wear a little turtleneck, and it's so cute. Yeah. It's also cute because he's like a tall guy, but he really has a baby face. It's really cute. I love him. One of the things that happens pretty early in the season is that the Black Hood basically blackmails Betty into posting an old mugshot of her mother, Alice, which reveals to everyone that Alice was a serpent when she was a teenager. And then when FP gets out of jail, he's like, I'm gonna quit the serpents, like, I'm gonna live life on the straight side. And then they decide to throw him this huge retirement party. This is possibly the strangest I, I can't even... We just have to say what happens. They're doing it in a bar, which, although it's kind of the main space the serpents are in, still feels really disrespectful of FP's sobriety. Yeah, like they're shocked by the end of the night when he drinks. Then maybe you shouldn't have held his retirement party, like a party that's for him, in a bar. Also, again, it's in a bar, but there's a lot of underage serpents, so they're all there... Everyone's kind of chill with it. Betty, Archie, and Veronica also come. And it's super weird that Archie and Veronica come. Archie has been actively terrorizing the serpents with his weird little fascist friends. And like, yeah, super weird that they're there. I think Betty probably invited them, not even Jughead. And to make matters weirder, imagine you're a 50-year-old dude who's just gotten out of jail. You're ready to quit your gang. You're ready to start a new life to be sober. These two kids show up at your retirement party who are like weird. You're just like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm not gonna let this ruin my night. Like, this is about me. This is about my accomplishments. These two kids are like, let's do karaoke. Why would you wanna do karaoke? Furthermore, why would you wanna watch them do karaoke? And then they get up and choose the worst possible karaoke song. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places. So they perform Mad World. Halfway through, they like get in a weird fight, kind of. And also, context here is that Betty's trying to be supportive of Jughead joining the gang. And somehow, I think through her mom, maybe, she finds out that there's this like serpent this initiation for women who want to be serpents where they have to do the serpent dance and no one ever really says what that is and i'm not convinced that what she does is the serpent dance veronica and archie storm off the stage in the middle of mad world betty gets up on stage finishes singing mad world while also doing a striptease in some of the ugliest lingerie I've ever seen. Yes, with her hair still in its terrible tight ponytail. And what I have to say, as a minor, why would you do a striptease in front of your boyfriend's dad, all his friends, your mom? Like, what? So Betty finishes this. No one claps, which is what she deserves. <laughs> no one does anything. FP to, like, not ruin the vibe of his party gets up there and is like ah good job whatever 
kind of was mad at Jughead, didn't want Jughead to have to take on the responsibility, so he rejoins the Serpents. This is kind of shown by him taking a shot. It just symbolizes back to the old ways, which is sad. It's genuinely very sad. And also, Skeet Ulrich is just a very good actor, and so this, I feel like this season plays very well to me in terms of I'm really buying into his plot. I think also the reason in this episode that he's like, I really don't want you to have the life that I had, is that in the episode before, Jughead has to run drugs for Penny Peabody because he owes her this favor. And this is a fun episode because in this episode, Jughead and Archie go to Greendale again. And there's just like this moment where there's a dead deer that they find on the side of the road, they put in the back of a truck, and then the deer like becomes reanimated. It comes back to life. And it's just such a fun little touch of magical realism. And Greendale is also where the Sabrina series takes place which is in the same universe as Riverdale but kind of disconnected but I do love this moment I feel like it's the first hint that Riverdale is maybe a little supernatural yeah but also just this genuine good moment of magical realism this is around the middle of the season Betty and Jughead break up after this kind of spectacle throughout this season honestly Veronica and Archie and Jughead and Betty are just breaking up getting back together breaking up getting back together but basically, both couples break up, and in the next episode, Archie and Betty kiss. The Barchi girl's going crazy. <laughs> this kiss becomes very important. Archie quickly tells Veronica about it. Yeah, and they get back together. While in the episode where, like, Archie and Betty kiss, kind of Betty and Jughead are both doing things that each other wouldn't approve of, because this is an episode where Jughead is mad enough at Penny Peabody that he gets together a bunch of the younger serpents and they get her and cut her serpent tattoo out of her arm. Which is probably the first time you see Jughead being violent. And cruel. Yes. It's mean. It's also, yeah, it's very violent and stressful. This is also the moment where you, the younger serpents really start to band together and the serpents shift from this gang of like older kind of more experienced people to this really young group of kids leading the gang. They're all in high school. They're all in high school. It also makes the gang stuff kind of sillier because you're no longer dealing with the reality of the people who are in the gang. Yeah, like it's becoming all focused on drama between high school students pretty much. Although I will say in this show, drama between high school students does result in murder. So can't blame them that much. So the next thing that happens is that Southside High gets shut down. Southside High gets shut down because the lodges pay the mayor, Mayor McCoy, who is Josie of Josie and the Pussycats' mother, a lot of money because they want to buy the land that Southside is on top of in order to build a private prison. So all the Southside students get shuttled to different schools. Our favorite serpents are all going to Riverdale High. You get some really fun culture clash moments and you see that Jughead's really identifying as a serpent because when he goes back to Riverdale he refuses to take off his serpent jacket even though people at Riverdale are making it very difficult for people that are serpents and he tries to preserve 
the presence of this gang in a school set, which is kind of a weird move. He creates a club called Swords and Serpents so that they can still hang out together as a group. Also, you get one of my favorite consistent parts of the serpents, which is that they're always going, Snakes don't shed their skin so easily. A fact that is untrue. Serpents famously shed their skin. One of FP's best characteristics is that he doesn't know anything about serpents, and so he gets to say whatever he wants and mean it about the gang and also the literal animal, but he's just confused. So he'll say things like, Serpents hibernate during the winter. I don't think that's true. Also in this episode, one of the best exchanges ever between Veronica and Cheryl We'll just insert it here. It needs no context. Stand down, Eva Peron. Cheryl, no one invited fascist Barbie to the party. Wrong, Veronica. No one invited Southside scum to our school. Listen up, ragamuffins. And also in this episode, Archie is approached by an FBI agent. The FBI plot is so stupid, I don't even want to talk about it. The short of it is that the lodges are testing Archie to see if he will give up information to the FBI, and the FBI agent is actually just someone that they hired to do this for him. He passes the test, he is officially welcomed into the Lodge family, much to the chagrin of Veronica, who doesn't want him to be sullied by her dirty family. Another important plot in season two is Betty's long-lost brother, who we learn throughout the season was actually her half-brother. Because different dad. But the way he is introduced is you had found out that you know that Alice gave up a kid for adoption when she got pregnant in high school. And there's this moment where Polly leaves uh, Riverdale because she's like, Riverdale's getting kind of crazy. So she decides to go join the farm. Seed for future uh, Riverdale plotline. Not in this season. She decides to go join the farm and she doesn't let Betty's mom meet the twins that she's just given birth to. And so Betty, thinking this is some kind of one-for-one one trade, is like, okay, I'll just, I'll go track down the kid my mom gave up for adoption. As if that would just, like, fill her grandmother void. And that would be automatically a good situation. When in fact, what a complicated thing to step into. Like, how did she think that would just immediately be happy and good? Like, it seems like you would have to work at that relationship at least a little bit. There's so many complicated aspects, but the chick fil is one of my favorites because it's when Riverdale really commits to being insane about gay men. And about sex work. So Chick is a gay sex worker who's living in, like, essentially a hostel. It's like a motel or something. Yeah. It's a, it's a sketchy place. They go visit him. He's like, I don't really want to see you guys, to be honest. You don't know anything about me. They also show up, like, in their most, like, preppy, bougie clothes ever, which was just a choice. And then at one point, Betty is like, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna try to convince Chick again. He's getting attacked by someone. She pepper sprays the shit out of that dude and then just grabs Chick and they run home. And they're like, Chick lives here now. He lives in Polly's room. None of this is weird. He's blonde, so we know who this man is. But he's a, he's an absolute creep. He's an absolute freak. Yeah, he's got really weird energy from the moment you meet him. Later, you learn that he's her half-sibling. Alice reveals that she had a son with someone, or this that the son she had was not with Hal Cooper, 
which is partially why Hal, Betty's dad, has been so mad about Chick living in his house. Chick convinces the Coopers to help him kill someone. You kind of don't know what happened there. Betty pretty much walks into the house and Chick has killed someone. She walks in and it's already happened. And then she, her mom, Jughead, and FP all help Chick clean it up. From the rest of the series, he's known as the Shady Man. And so throughout the season, Chick is kind of blackmailing them with the fact that they did all of the work, even though he was the one who killed the Shady Man. And eventually, Betty makes a deal with the Black Hood and runs Chick out of town, assuming that the Black Hood kills him. Which is a hilarious plot as well. She pretty much sacrifices him to the Black Hood. The next thing that happens chronologically is that Riverdale discovers that Native American people exist. The disclaimer here is that I'm indigenous, so I think this is hilarious. I don't know, it just makes no sense. Well, they discover that Native people exist, but they also do it so wrong and wild. So, Riverdale, the town, was founded 75 years ago by General Pickens. Who is, like, Cheryl's ancestor? Well, Barnabas B. Blossom is Cheryl's, like, great-great-great-grandfather who paid General Pickens to help establish the town. Uh, I see. So they're related, but she's not related to General Pickens. Yeah, but she's really, like, loyal to him. They're having a 75th anniversary celebration for the town of Riverdale. And on this day, Jughead decides to start, like, uncovering the past of the town of Riverdale. So he interviews Tony's grandfather, who is played by Graham Greene, a pretty famous indigenous actor who is like in Dances with Wolves, nominated for an Oscar for that movie, and in a lot of other stuff since. Anyway, he's in approximately one episode where Jughead interviews him and learns that Native Americans are oppressed. The General Pickens whose statue stands proudly in Pickens Park? Yes, and every year the North Side honors this man who massacred children. How do people not know about this? Well, some do, but... It's called the whitewashing of history, Jones. What, did you think Jason Blossom was the first person to be murdered in Riverdale? And so Jughead, like, publishes this story telling the story of the Uktena tribe, which, one thing we need to say, Uktena tribe, not a real tribe, which is fine. Like, if you're gonna put a tribe in Riverdale, I guess I'm glad they didn't disrespect an actual group of people by being like, these are the people we're writing into the show. But Uktena, we just found out through research. Uktena is a Cherokee word for serpent, essentially. Which is so typical also that they were like, uh, what the fucking Native Americans have we ever heard of? Cherokee people? I don't know. And also funny that they chose that because Cherokee's like in Oklahoma, like in near like Arkansas, not New York. So weird choice on their part, but okay. So what Tony's grandfather tells Jughead is essentially that when General Pickens went to found Riverdale, he massacred 400 native people that were living in the area in order to found Riverdale. Mm -hmm. And the kind of remaining Uktana tribe became the serpents to protect their family. This is crazy for a few reasons (laughs) first of all you're telling me that the town was founded in like 1941 and at that point in time it was a thriving community of native people not a reservation but just native people who had been untouched by colonization is pretty much what they 
set it up to be in 1941. This is post-Dawes Act. This is post-everything that has happened to Native people. And so that is what it is. I don't even know how to begin to deal with that as the pretend history of Riverdale. And then, secondly, that the few remaining Native people who weren't massacred in this horrible traumatizing genocide. General Pickens committed a genocide. There's Pickens Day. This is the whole thing. Tony's grandfather is like, the few remaining people became the serpents. Which makes it even wilder that, like, the Jones family are, like, the kings of the serpents. Yeah, it, she kind of, there's an implication that the members of the serpents are all descended from these original natives that were living in this area. But Jughead, who has just learned about colonization, is so horrified. And honestly, props to him. He tries really hard. So then all the serpents, specifically the young ones, stage a protest at Pickens Day, and then Hiram upstages it and is like, isn't free speech great? And he actually does a very good spin of it for his purposes. Yeah. It, it's another moment where Archie and Jughead are at odds because Archie is trying to get Jughead to stop this protest. Mm -hmm. Later there will be another protest when they learn that Southside High is going to be turned into a private prison where these younger serpents chain themselves to Southside High and Archie goes and cuts their chains. Yeah, Archie is, Archie is crazy this season. Like, Archie really is an enemy of the people, which is crazy. But they, like, decapitate the statue of General Pickens. I It's later revealed that it wasn't actually, like, the young serpents, and it was kind of, like, someone trying to make them look more, you know, to sensationalize the issue. But honestly, ahead of their time, in terms of the destruction of, you know, monuments of colonizers, and can I just say queen shit, king shit? I mean, I do, I do think they depict very accurately what it's like when a white person learns <laughs> that, like, they're on stolen land, you know? And he, like, looks around and he's like, how is everyone not so mad about this? And the answer is that most of those people have had to live with that truth for a very long time and can't be as mad as he is in this episode on a daily basis because... You simply cannot sustain that throughout your life on an everyday basis. Whatever. It's also, like, even crazier, though, that the implication of it only being 75 years old. <laughs> yeah. So, as we've been saying, Jughead and Archie have been kind of constantly against each other. Betty and Veronica have been kind of on either side for the most part. Betty and Veronica are still best friends, but there definitely is an energy where, at this point, they're back together with their boyfriends, so they're having some tension. Jughead and Veronica are having a lot of tension. Veronica's like, let's get away for a weekend. Um, they go to upstate New York, the Lodge Lodge. Uh, this is an incredible episode for a lot of reasons, one of which is the insane orgy energy throughout the episode. Because basically it's revealed that Archie and Betty kissed, and then they're like sitting in a hot tub, and Veronica's like, I have a great idea. Jughead and I should kiss. It's fun. It's a fun, silly episode. Uh, but the kind of crucial things that happens at the very end of the episode is the Lodge's bodyguard, Andre, has come with them despite Veronica's wishes when their cabin is attacked. Someone breaks into the cabin while they're staying there. And the intruders make a run for it, but Archie, again, so traumatized from already being held at gunpoint this season, runs after them. To try to get Veronica's necklace back. 
Which, don't put your life at risk for a necklace, bro. She has so many. It's, like, not even her pearls. Yeah, it's a random necklace. But Archie catches this man, it starts beating him when the lodge's bodyguard comes up and is like, Archie, I'll deal with this. Archie starts walking back, you hear a gunshot. So the bodyguard has killed this man, which is important for the end of the season, which we'll get to in a minute. But... The other ramifications of the Lodge Lodge is that it turns out that Hiram has bought the trailer park and is no longer evicting the serpents as kind of a truce between the serpents and the Lodges, but Jughead realizes this is clearly a ploy because the Lodges have been buying a ton of property on the south side, they're being very sketchy in general, so he kind of turns on Veronica. You get some more of my favorite dialogue this season when Betty gets a call from her parents where she realizes that the Lodges have also bought the Riverdale Register, which is the newspaper. Lodge Industries has been buying properties all over the south side. Now he buys the one newspaper in town so people can't report on what he's doing. This is a classic gambit of mobsters and criminals. Shut the hell up, Jughead. Archie, this one's pretty simple, so even you might be able to get this if you stopped kissing up to Hiram for like two seconds. And there's nothing like evil about buying a newspaper. He's trying to silence the free press, Archie. That's literally censorship. Much like what Olivia does to me on a weekly basis. Identical. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> but Jughead and Betty very mad at Archie and Veronica for clearly just allowing Hiram's shit to go on. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, did you bring us out to this weird lodge to get us out of the way while your dad did sketchy, sketchy things? And the answer is kind of yes. Mm-hmm. And again, Veronica is just so a part of her parents' evil schemes this season, even as she kind of goes between being mad at her dad, at no point is she like, what you are doing is fundamentally wrong. Yeah, she's just mad at him. Then one thing that then happens that we don't really need to get into the reasoning behind it, but Cheryl is sent to conversion camp because she comes out as a lesbian after watching the movie Love, Simon. We can't even get into the implications of the movie Love, Simon existing in this universe and what that means for the timeline of this show. In Riverdale, Love, Simon comes out a full year before it comes out in our universe. And it's such a choice to use a real movie because for a show that is so wishy-washy with what year it is, that gives you a year. Yeah, it gives year. you a year, but the wrong year. Yeah, basically Cheryl is so affected by this movie that she comes out as a lesbian, which, you know, neatly ties up the accusations of incest. But then she is sent to Sisters of Quiet Mercy, which somehow also has a fun little conversion camp wing among its adoption wing psych ward wing <laughs> and then eventually tony breaks her out they kiss it's very cute so cheryl gets out of conversion camp and is like riverdale this high school is gonna burn and so then they do carry the musical this begins an incredible uh riverdale theme of doing musicals consistently the least watched and lowest rated episodes of every season and yet incredible they always do a musical episode it's always weird, and in this episode, the only important thing that really happens is that they cast Midge as Carrie, and then Midge, who's survived the Black Hood attempt 
on her life. And then she is, in fact, killed. Which is sad. She's just some girl. Yeah, she didn't deserve to be, like, wrapped up in all this. Like, she just wanted to do her little jingle jangle and make out in a car. So, Midge gets killed. It's revealed that Midge and Fangs were having an affair. Fangs the serpent. So, Fangs gets arrested for killing Midge, even though it was literally very clearly the Black Hood. It's like, I'm back. Like, yeah. But it becomes more and more clear that the Black Hood is Betty's dad, because the Black Hood is just calling Betty constantly, is like, you inspire me. It's very weird. And Betty finally realizes that, talks to Cheryl about it, investigates her dad, and... At the end of this investigation, the Black Hood comes to kill Cheryl when she injures him with a bow and arrow, which is so funny. Yeah, it just really starts the beginning of Cheryl's, like, I am Artemis and also a witch of the Salem witch trials and also the Virgin Mary and I will never die. And isn't she? She is. So then, in the next episode, Hal reveals himself to Betty and Alice as the Black Hood. He shows them this weird video of him from when he was a kid. It's basically him being, like, verbally abused by his mom. There's serial killers in his, in his blood. The serial killer gene, which is relevant next season. Hal is arrested by Betty. Fred, this episode, is shot again, but he's wearing a bulletproof vest this time, so that's all good. And as happens in every single season except the first, Jughead dies. Because he's just, he is this show's martyr. He really is. You think he's dead. Like, FP is carrying Jughead's bloodied body who was attacked by the ghoulies. Yeah, because he turns himself over to the ghoulies so that they don't hurt any of the other serpents. And Fangs, as well, is presumed to be dead by the serpents because he was shot by Midge's mother, because it was thought that he killed Midge. So basically, the serpents rally around Jughead being alive and Fangs being alive. And that's kind of exciting. They all make it to the north side so that none of the serpents have to be injured anymore. That's the exciting thing. They're given asylum on the north side by Fred, who is just my king. I love him so much. He has all of the serpents living in his house. It's beautiful. At this point as well, a lot is happening at the end of this season. Clearly, they're wrapping up loose ends. There was a mayoral race going on in which Hermione Lodge and Fred Andrews were the main people running. Hermione wins, meaning that the lodges really have control over the city. Hermione as the mayor and Hiram owning all of the south side at this point. Jughead is named the Serpent King and he initiates Cheryl, Betty. He just like brings in some of his pals. And then at the same time as the mayoral race is the student body race. Equal importance. Equal importance. Archie wins for school class president and at his inauguration is arrested for the death of the man who died at the Lodge Lodge. And that is how the season ends. So much happens. And yet, what the fuck happened? I will say, re-watching season two, season two is such a good season. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it, honestly. Because you're just like, oh, the Black Hood thing. Yeah, that was just a normal murder. Like, that wasn't a weird monster or, like, a cult or anything. It was just Betty's dad. That's lame. But you know what? They really make up for that by throwing in every single possible twist and turn. They make everyone change their mind about their stances on things every single episode. Jughead's like, I don't want to be in the Serpents. NBM, I do want to be in the Serpents. And in fact, I want to be the Serpent King with Betty, my girlfriend I've broken up with eight times as my Serpent Queen. Serpent Queen. 
So season three set up beautifully. All the serpents are living at Fred Andrews house who is not the mayor as he lost. Hermione Lodge is the mayor. Hiram Lodge is planning to be evil with every other evil person in town. Veronica owns Pops. Archie arrested going to jail question mark. Yeah and that is where we're at at the end of season two. Left on that beautiful note of just overwhelm and befuddlement and confusion. I hope that was as enlightening as our season one. Stay tuned for season three where we get cults, we get more FBI agents, we get the serial killer genes, we get another musical episode, we get some really good Jarchie, Archie running away, we get the return of Archie as a character that I love and care about. Is he in prison in that? Yes! We get the prison plot? Yep. <laughs> we get, as we mentioned earlier in this illustrious podcast, we get Leopold in the prison. So much. I can't wait. I can't wait either. Bye. Bye. Bye.